0: welcome to episode two of The Secret Life of Elite Student Athletes, hosted by me, Hannah Kuhar. Today, I'm joined by Sean Ingle, a 21-year-old rugby union footballer from South Africa. Sean is a current member of the Melbourne Rebels Emerging Player Program, and he's previously played in the under-19 Victorian stateside. In 2019, Sean graduated from the University of Melbourne with a Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in finance and management, and he'll continue to study at Melbourne Uni in 2020 in the Masters of Engineering program. Sean has a great variety of passions. The past summer alone, he juggled a board position with Melbourne Uni Sport, plus a volunteering position at a bamboo school in Thailand. And if my memory serves me correctly, I'm pretty sure he signed a modelling contract with Calvin Klein and fixed world hunger whilst he was at it. So, Sean, welcome, and thank you
1: for bringing your lovely face to the studio today. Thanks so much for having me, Hannah. I really appreciate it.
2: Everyone who meets you is always just amazed by how humble you are, how talented you are, how you literally are the, the nice guy who plays rugby, believe it or not, if those people actually exist. How do you feel when you hear, you know, your achievements read out?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, it's news to me that everyone thinks to be that way. But um, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of how I feel um, when all that's read out, it kind of makes me a bit embarrassed about kind of things like that. But um, at the same time, it, it, it's also kind of cool to think that I've, I've had the opportunity to do some interesting things in my life and I kind of want to keep doing the same going forward.
2: Have you always, like as a kid, you've always been that um, guy who gives everything a go, no matter what kind of opportunity it is?
1: Pretty much, yeah. I think I've tried my hand at a lot of things, um, but recently I've decided, and it's been a conscious sort of decision to try and, and focus on doing things that I wouldn't normally do. I've been trying to expand my comfort zone, as they say, as far as I can, um, and that's been a more recent thing. I think as a kid, I've had the things I loved and I really, really did them a lot. Uh, and that set me up well in a lot of ways. But I think recently that, that, that drive to, you know, expand your comfort zone and, and try all sorts of things that the world has to offer has, has increased a lot.
2: I mean, you were born and grew up in South Africa and then found yourself in Melbourne when that whole uni transition thing happened. Mm. Has this all come as a result of that? Like what were you like back in South Africa?
1: Potentially, yeah. I think moving to Melbourne has been probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. Uh, just because I've met a lot of really cool people here. I've done a lot of really cool things. But it's also, it's forced me to move away from all the things that I was used to. Uh, back home, I think I was largely a similar sort of person. But um, moving away was, was something I really wanted to do because I had lived in the same little town my entire life. Um, and then Melbourne was just an opportunity to try and have, you know, do something new. And then from there, I think things just things just unfolded.
2: I mean, you've always been pretty sporty as a kid. You played rugby. You played a lot of cricket as well. And then now you found yourself amongst the rebels playing rugby. How did that all happen?
1: Well, it's it's quite funny because I always loved my sport. I always have. And I think that's the main reason we do it. And it's the main reason people do it is because it's just so enjoyable. But I um I loved my sport at school. Didn't really... Didn't really take it. I took it seriously, but it wasn't a huge ambition. Everyone wants to play for the Springboks in South Africa, but that's kind of just like an offhand comment. comment. Um, but came over and just decided to pick up rugby at the rugby club and um, went from strength to strength there. A few people noticed me and then ended up, you know, getting called into a few things at the Rebels, which I never imagined coming over, which has been a really, really nice experience.
2: Have you had to change your mindset around all of these things, like going from being that naturally sporty kid to now like, Oh, I, I'm a rugby player. Like I'm a, I'm actually doing this.
1: Yeah, it's actually a good, it's a good question because I think I have had to, um, I've had to change it from a more of a casual mindset, and now I've decided to take it a bit more seriously, and and adding a level of professionalism to things requires a change in mindset that I've never really experienced before. But uh, it's it has happened kind of organically over the last couple of years.
2: What things particularly have you changed?
1: Well, I think. Being really, really regimented, or you know, a lot more serious about my training schedule. Um, most of the time, my training would just be. I joined the team because I loved hanging out with my mates and that's all I'd train. I wouldn't do anything outside of it but there's been a lot of added individual skills that I've had to or that I've chosen to do outside of that to try and develop my rugby career a little bit more.
2: Was that a shift in do you think maturity environment like was there a particular factor that made you reassess your ways?
1: I think it was a realization that If I wanted to achieve the dreams that I'd set up for myself, I had to put in an extra level of work that I wouldn't have to do if I I didn't actually really want it. So it was more of a, a deep assessment on what do I want? What am I going to give a crack at? And what's the kind of thing that if I didn't do would I regret as an older guy?
2: I think regret is one of those powerful motivators, especially if you can tap into that as a young person. It's like, well, let's have the foresight to think, what do I want to look like in five years' time, in 10 years' time? I think sport especially makes that a more pressing issue. I mean, you're 21, you're still pretty young, but in a sports sense, it's like you're coming into your prime time almost. Have you felt your age to ever be a pressure, whether positive or negative?
1: I mean in most sports I think it's the same that if you haven't really reached the the peak of or the pinnacle of things by the time you're in your early 20s then you're probably never going to be able to do much more than that and I I think that is a pressure I'm not sure if it's 100% true because the more I actually do some research into it the more I see people and when they're older and more experienced and had a, a whole lot of other things then they're cracking it into the into the main setup so I definitely have experienced that pressure but I'm trying to change the the mindset around that a little bit and and tell yourself that it's actually okay to develop a little slower than than the rising stars that make it at 18.
2: Especially with rugby knowing that so much of the game is predicated upon how you know large your muscles are how big your frame is how tall you are I think the pressure comes from knowing that there are so many external factors that you can't control has that played a role in your development coming to this point?
1: I'd say so. I think it's it's hard to not play a role um in a sport such as rugby. Like you said, if I could be seven foot tall and 120 kilograms, <laughs> I would any day of the week. But I can't really change that sort of thing. So you, I think it's really easy to, to focus on things that are out of your control. But in the end, you can only control what you can control. And that thing, you, there's a lot of things you can control. And you may as well focus on those that, and try find the one thing that makes the most difference.
2: What is that one thing for you?
1: I don't think I've figured out what the one thing is at the moment, but um, I've got a a short list of skills and and attributes that I'm working on and I'm trying to test whether which which one has the most effect.
2: Yeah. Talk me through what what are some of the things that you're looking at in 2020 particularly? So
1: in 2020, I mean, I'm trying to spread my time between study and rugby and a whole lot of other things. But if we're focusing on rugby for now, um, the couple of things I think is that I've identified three core skills that if I really up my game in i think it'll make a huge difference in terms of my selection prospects for example um and then outside of that i've started to realize that recovery and mobility is a lot bigger thing and that's not not necessarily going to make me play better on the field in each time but it'll make me come back stronger every year um, and hopefully be able to last a lot longer so that's definitely one of the things i've started to realize i don't think it's the one thing but it's definitely one of the main things
2: it's interesting that you don't often hear younger athletes and especially male athletes putting in as much time in things like recovery. And You and I train quite frequently together. We train at the same gym and it's one of the things that people always comment on that looking at you, people think it's amazing how you're leading the way in changing the culture around our gym, around processes to do with recovery, whether it's going to a stretching class or trying your hand at yoga. With the nature of rugby being a fairly blokey kind of sport, have you found it challenging to present yourself as, you know, I'm Sean and I'm going to try this non-cool, non-masculine thing called yoga?
1: It's interesting because I've never really thought of it that way but uh, if I were to kind of rewind a little bit I probably the first time I did try that sort of thing um, I was kind of in that stigma that rugby players don't need to be doing this sort of thing and it's really not that cool for men to be in this sort of thing but I think my whole psyche around that's developed to the fact that it actually doesn't matter and um, I think trying to put aside those sort of gender discriminations has has really helped. I think having my mum and my sister always kind of pushing me to do this sort of thing uh, has kept me a bit more grounded and hasn't let me sort of develop really strong stigmas about manliness that is unhealthy. And that's been really, really helpful.
2: Have you ever found your identity within the rugby community ever at odds with the whole stereotypes around being a rugby player?
1: I don't know. I'd say so. The stereotypes of rugby players... They're varied, but uh, I wouldn't say I fit within that stereotypical mold, but most players don't as well. It's obviously that's why they're stereotypes because <laughs> they just generalize the whole population. But there's, there's certain things around it that I feel, whereas it's I not that I feel at odds with it, but I, f- I feel that by being me and sort of focusing on what who I am as a person, I can kind of almost play a role in breaking the molds around those stereotypes.
2: And especially doing that as a player on the cusp—you're not quite playing for the Rebels, but you're pretty close to it—and you're trying these things. Have you found that difficult to be, you know, brave and willing to break stigmas with certain things, but not having the backing of being the Rebels, you know, stafflink or whatever it may be?
1: I think it's been easier because I've been sort of out on the edge. Because I would say that if you if you are in that high pressure environment and you're being paid to to play the sport you love which is the dream but at the same time it comes with certain consequences and I would think that one of those would be that you're expected to perform in certain ways Uh, whereas I don't have any really responsibilities and no one's directing exactly what I have to do other than me and uh, I think I've been able to therefore make the decisions that I think are best for me not that are best for an image of some sort of stereotype that I'm uh, striving towards.
2: Has overthinking been a part of your life or how do you sit with that whole like being conscious of your conscious?
1: Wow, that's that's a pretty big question because I would say that I went through a stage where I overthought things way, way too much um, and then that was probably like five to eight years ago where I would just think about things a, a lot and then slowly trained myself to not about things to the point where I started thinking about things slightly too little and being a bit too carefree in terms of that so I think it's a very tricky balance life often in a lot of ways can be brought down and simplified into sort of models and the way in which I think I can help my learning process in terms of optimizing the model of life which obviously doesn't capture all the stuff that happens around it but in optimizing the model which I think kind of focuses on maybe instead of the one thing the few core things and the point I'm trying to get into is that by making it more scientific and by focusing on certain things that help me think about it post you know doing an activity or preparing myself for an activity so that's journaling post and and visualizing pre those are the sort of things that I think are really very helpful in, in trying to help performance
2: would you consider bringing those same processes into your study has that mindset ever carried across
1: I don't think I have and I I think the reason is that study for me is 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 different in, in the fact that it's so easily defined everything's on paper and everything's put out in words and there's pretty much a right answer to everything I've done. And that's probably because I've studied commerce and, and now engineering, whereas you as an art student would know that there's no right answer in those sort of fields.
2: Absolutely not. The right answer lies in your heart and you can only try and justify that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then I think that that is completely different to a sport, for example, where um, the, the, the learning environment is a lot more complex and there's no, there's no one right thing, but there are certain things that people have done that have proven successful, but that doesn't mean that's the only way in order to do that. So I think I approach it differently because in the one, you have to rely on... I've found that it's helpful to rely on certain simplifications in order to try and learn, whereas in the other, you can kind of just digest the content and learn in a very linear fashion, whereas the rugby is very circular. You kind of keeping having to evaluate what you can do because in the moment the heat of the moment unless i've kind of reinforced those thought patterns many many times i'll end up doing something that i fall back on old habits
2: it's like that idea in seeking mastery like so much of it comes from repeating simple movements or game patterns or whatever and becoming so good at those basics but then the fun really comes in once you bring it into a game or for you in a uni sense i mean you've been on a couple of boards yourself like bringing in the foundation that you've learned at uni but then applying it to the real business world i guess that's where the real fun comes in
1: yeah absolutely that yeah that is absolutely correct and i think the funny thing is that because i've been studying my whole entire life i haven't got to the stage other than through a few little things that you alluded to um I haven't got to the stage where I spend a large amount of time applying all the foundational things that I've learnt. And that's something to look forward to for the future.
2: You are so patient to just appreciate that process of like, yeah, I'm just doing the foundational work now. Like, are you ready to jump in? Are you raring to jump in?
1: Not particularly, no. And I, and it's funny because I only just thought about the fact that when you drew the parallel between rugby and and studies that right now... Learning at university is exactly that, it's just doing the foundational stuff, and uh, that was a realization that just dawned on me right now. But, um, <laughs> I
2: think it's one of perhaps the failings of the university model is that a lot of people think that, well, you know, I did high school and that was the foundation, and then uni is this transition into the real world. You finished a degree now, did you think you were going to come out of it differently to how you actually did?
1: I kind of. And maybe this was naive, but I probably went into the degree thinking that once you've got the degree, you come out with all this knowledge and that you can apply it directly to something. And it's a very linear, easy process that kind of just once you got your degree, everything else falls into place. But I've realized now it's just another sort of learning experience and that the the, the complex learning environment of the world hasn't changed at all. It hasn't. It's maybe I've added a little tool to my armory and hopefully some really good ways of thinking and, and problem solving. Uh, I think that's the main thing I'm trying to take out of it now, but it hasn't really changed too much and the world just as scary and exciting <laughs> as it was beforehand.
2: It's funny to look at all of the new undergrads starting their journey and thinking that, you know, in three years' time, I'm going to be job ready, I'm going to be ready for the world. And then you think about it and it's like, you know what? We're all having our quarter-life crises. You're going to have your midlife crisis. Like life is just a series of crisis points one after another because it's like, well, will you ever become perfect? Can you ever find mastery in life? You know, that's something that I'm not sure about. Are you seeking to find mastery in your life?
1: I think I am in in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it, it depends on how you define that mastery because... I'd always grown up thinking that I wanted to be perfect in a lot of ways. And I've realized now that perfection actually doesn't exist. And I read an interesting book about it that was uh, describing how because we live life through our own, the lens of our own brain, everything that everyone sees is slightly different from mm. from one another. It basically means that the, the word or the concept of perfection was created by people. Yeah. And it doesn't actually, it's, I don't, what the author was arguing that perfection is not a universal truth there's certain things that are as they are and they are true but everything else is just man-made and hence it is false is what he's trying to say and I guess the parallel I've taken from that is that there's, there's no real need to strive for perfection I feel that Driving towards being the best that I can possibly be is a much much better alternative that I think I'm leaning towards.
2: How did you feel when this idea of perfection that you had been working towards for so long just exploded before your eyes?
1: It was it was very interesting, but at least it provided, instead of just shattering and falling into pieces, it kind of shattered and reformed into a new idea, which I thought was was much more helpful than than if it had just not been replaced by anything and what it had been replaced by is that the idea that all you can be is the best that you can possibly try and be if you know what I mean that the the actual process of, of doing your best in things and I know it sounds so soppy but I think it is genuinely um, when you take away the soppiness from it it is a really, really good honest, strong place in which to uh, approach life in
2: How does such an analytical person like yourself judge whether you have lived your best life today or not? Do you have any metrics around that?
1: That's an interesting question. I don't think I do. Um, I think it's more about the intent than the outcome in that regard because a lot of days I I, I go into it having a lot of plans and, and things always change and I try to be as adaptable as possible but if I were to then judge myself on the plan for the day and what I did and didn't do I probably would have seen that as a failure but a lot of times the things that kind of bring you off track somehow are contributing towards success later on down the line.
2: Is that something that you've had to learn through your experiences with failure or is that simply just a theory that you've learned to apply?
1: I'd say it's more theoretical. Um, I think in terms of learning from, from failures itself, I've started to use the optimism um, sort of mindset. It's interesting because one of the things that my business degree taught me that I didn't think that I would learn from it was through my study of management. I majored um, partly in management and a lot of the, the concepts there, are on, there's no math, there's no theory. There's no th- theories that have been proven by anything else because it's a lot more art-like. And, and one of the things that was a recurrent theme in, in several subjects and from several influential teachers and, and business leaders was that failure, and this is the biggest cliche around, is that failure is just another stepping stone in order to think in success, whatever that is down the line. But I, I've kind of taken a spin-off on that, that failure is... is neither good nor bad it's but if you learn from it it's always always a good thing
2: i feel like that's such a noble thing to say and when you're removed from it it's like yeah there's so much discourse around you know failure is this gift blah 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 surely when it's actually happening to you it's pretty hard to accept that theory and just be super optimistic about it
1: yeah absolutely it is that's the hardest part is is trying to to deal with that but I think it's it's something worth doing because it helps bounce back from those sort of things a lot quicker. And although it always it always hurts when you don't make the thing that you wanted to or you get excluded from the team that you've been trying to go towards, the kind of critical decision point after anything that happens is you decide if you want to kind of keep going and, and bouncing back from that and if you want to learn from it or if you've decided that it's enough. And another concept I think that I've recently come across and accepted that I never thought I would as a kid is that there is such thing as as knowing when your time is up and that you can move on to something else because there's so many interesting things out there uh, and applying yourself to something that you no longer and your when your priorities change to something that no longer fits your mold is is something that sometimes is not the best decision and that's something that's really really hard to to come to grips with but kind of makes failure and even more of a, a vital sort of pivotal point because it can define maybe that you move into a different activity that yields great things later on. I don't know. It's just there's always this possibility and I believe that it's an inherent optimism that things will be really, really amazing and good at some stage.
2: Do you ever have moments where you're not feeling that optimistic self?
1: Flashes, yeah. I'd say that I've reached a point where the optimism pretty much stays constant even when sort of the bad things happen around. And if something unfortunate was to happen, um, it sometimes fades for a bit, but then there's always a little nagging voice in the background putting it back on because I honestly believe that optimism is one of the foundational values that I, I think is the most important, to me at least.
2: What's on the cards for the next few years? Have you got the life plan, or are we just seeing where we end up? I've got up?
1: some, I've got some lofty dreams, but that's about that's about as far lofty as I've gone. Lofty dreams, with, I love it with that sort of thing. Um, I'd love to be able to obviously get through my degree um, in pretty good shape and finish. And I, I, really want to make the most of this next degree of mine. I realised in my under, in my undergrad in commerce that I I did well and I committed myself sort of uh, diligently towards it. (laughs) Sort of diligently. (laughs) I really want to kind of knuckle down on this one and make the most of it because the University of Melbourne is a seriously cool place and there's a lot going on here. Um, And I just want to really make most of that network and most of that uh, sort of, esteemed reputation so that's one thing for the next couple of years rugby wise I'm still trying to push it into the professional setup and that's a major goal of mine that I'm hopefully getting closer to year in year out Um, and then outside of that I'm still going to just keep trying to pursue little mini things that I find exciting and that don't kind of take away from those other two main goals of mine.
2: I guess if you've got such a strong vision like the life plan, it just falls into place and maybe you don't even need it to be like a um, very explicit life plan but you just trust that you're going to end up in the right places just because you kept, keep putting yourself in there. Like, Do you feel pressure having had have this plan behind you or is that just another bit of structure that's helped you out?
1: I think it's just another bit of structure that's helped me out. I think I like to know sort of what I'm going to be doing for the next couple Um, you know, what my eventual main goal is. I don't think necessarily whether or not I achieve it is super, super important on the the whole grand scheme of things. But I think the lofty dreams keep a motivation burning that allows me to hopefully form habits that help me to get there and that that's a virtuous cycle. So that thinking about the lofty dreams helps to reinforce the fact that I actually perform the habits and then the habits move you closer towards those sort of lofty dreams so that's kind of what's what I'm hoping for I'm hoping for a really really good positive feedback loop
2: well with your kind of positivity I don't doubt it for a second Sean thank you so much for coming in and having a chat
1: no worries at all thanks so much for having me I really enjoyed this